This morning, I invite you to take out your uh, Bibles if you have them. If you don't have one, we have a, a pew Bible in front of you there. And uh, our scripture lesson is going to come from page 837, Mark chapter 2, verses 13 through 17. Titled the, the, the title of this sermon is The Good Doctor, because as we're going to see, Jesus says that he is our good doctor. I, I told you a few weeks ago the story about having tonsillitis and my tonsils bursting and everything that was included with that. Uh, but I want to go back just a few days before then uh, to a time after I had received my diagnosis, after I was told I have this virus, that there wasn't much that could be done about it. I just had to go home and wait for everything to run its course. Well, I, uh, I received that diagnosis on, um, on a Monday, and by Wednesday, I had not been able to eat or drink anything. Uh, Amy was working at a school then, and she got off at around 3, and she had some errands to run, so she picked me up, and we began to go around, and I was running errands with her, but I could barely walk or move. I just sat in the car while she did all these things, and she kept imploring me, let me take you to the doctor. I said, you know, garbled words. I said, they won't do anything. It won't help. It won't help. I don't need to go. I don't need to go. She kept on imploring me, let me take you to a doctor. Just Let's just see if there's anything they can do. I said, no, no, don't do it, don't do it. Well, I remember falling asleep at a certain point in the afternoon as she was driving around Jackson and then waking up in the parking lot of a clinic <laughs> and Amy saying, get out of the car, we're going to see a doctor. And she helped me in and we went in. And the doctor came in and I... and. Amy explained what the diagnosis that I had, and the doctor said, I know exactly what will help you. She brought in a shot, and she gave me a shot of cortisone. Within 30 minutes, my tonsils had shrunk. Amy was cooking dinner, and I remember to this day what it was. It was spaghetti with meat sauce, but it was penne pasta. It wasn't the normal spaghetti. It was penne pasta. Yes, it was. I remember it well. And it was the best meal I had had. For two days, I couldn't eat or drink anything. I ate like three helpings of it. I drank two or three bottles of water because I had not had anything to drink. And it was an amazing thing because Amy knew I needed a doctor and I refused to go. Well, uh, two hours after that, my tonsils swole up again so that I couldn't eat or drink anything for two days. And that's what led me ultimately to being in the hospital having my tonsils removed. But I got the treatment that I needed because Amy knew that I needed help and I refused, I was refusing it. In this passage, we're going to see a, a shocking message from Jesus Christ. We're going to see that Jesus Christ came for the unrighteous. And because we hear that so much, we don't think that that's very shocking, but it really is. Because what Jesus does is he turns religion up on its head. He, he makes everything that's right side up, upside down, because he tells us, He's not here for good people. He's here for sinners. Let me read this to you. This is, again, Mark chapter 2, verses 13 through 17. Hear God's good and kind word to you today. And he went out again beside the sea, and the crowd was coming to him. And he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose, and he followed him. And as he reclined at the table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, 
For there were many who followed him, and the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Let's let's ask and pray for the Lord's help in understanding his word. Pray with me. Our Father, we thank you for giving us this word. We thank you for your son, for sending him into the world to say sinners like us. I pray, Father, that uh, we would have our expectations of who you are turned on their head, on its head. I pray that we would be shocked by this message, that we would be appalled at the audacity to say that, to call us what we are, that we are sinners in need of a doctor. I pray, Father, that you would help us to see who we truly are before you, but how great you are for us. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. So, of course, we're going to see this in three ways. First of all, we're going to see why he came. Secondly, we're going to see who he heals. And then thirdly, how he heals. So the first thing we're going to see is why Jesus came. Uh, what I want to do is actually take this passage, and since, since Jesus reverses and turns religion up on its head, I actually want to start with the bottom. I want to start with the last thing that we read, because in verse 17, he gives us the punchline. He tells us uh, the whole end of the story. We, we know it. We know it well. We've heard these verses over and over and over. But I want to start there, because we already know the, the punchline. So why Jesus came in verse 17? Well, sick people need a doctor. That's what Jesus says. When Jesus heard it, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Sick people need a doctor, and Jesus here is calling himself the good doctor. Uh, In Christ's day, Jewish rabbis uh, were kind of like the Jewish doctors, because uh, if you go back and read the Old Testament, there are 613 commandments that God gives to his people. Nearly one-third of those, 213 of those 613, involve something of the body or medical issues. So rabbis, the ones that knew uh, the Old Testament better than anyone else, they were the doctors. If you had some kind of illness, you wouldn't go directly to a doctor. You would first go to the teacher of the Old Testament for him to give a prescription of how it was you were to be healed from that ailment. So it was understandable here when Jesus, the great rabbi, says, uh, you know, it's the sick that need a physician. It's the sick that need a rabbi. And he says, so why did I come? I came to call not the righteous, but sinners. Jesus says he's the great doctor and he came to heal our greatest sickness, the sickness of our soul, the sickness that goes down deeper than we can even imagine, the sickness that ruins and rots us from the inside out. And Jesus says that's why he came. Uh, But I want you to remember also that Mark is writing this to Roman Christians who are suffering persecution, many of them who are being given up and given over to the Roman government for torture and, and for martyrdom to be killed. Now, Roman Christians would have been shut out from the community of the people that they were used to going to. And and Roman doctors, uh, actually Luke, uh, the the gospel writer Luke, was a Roman physician. 
Uh, and many of the times, their prescriptions were that you offended some god, you would have to go and see this god and appease this god, and then uh, you would be healed. But remember, they were shut out from the Roman community. They couldn't go see a doctor. And for them, they would be wondering, does God care about me and my physical ailments? Does God care that we're being tortured for him? Is there any hope for us since we're being condemned to death? And here they would read this because Mark said that Jesus Christ cares about the greatest thing that he can care about, their very souls. Jesus is the one that heals. He's the one that came to treat our eternal sickness, sin. So here's the good news here in verse 17. Because Jesus came to heal the problem that we need healing, or that he came to heal our greatest uh, problem, that is our sin. And what's beautiful about this is that Jesus says he makes a house call. He says, I came, not to call the righteous, but sinners. And y'all know how this used to work. Some of you maybe had doctors come to your home at various times, and, and he would, the doctor would come, and you would be sick, and he would give you a prescription, something that you would do there at your home. Well, this is Jesus, the great doctor, not waiting for you to come to him, not waiting for his people to do enough to be good. But Jesus says, I'm coming to you before you do anything good. But let me ask you this. What if, what if the doctor came to your house and you weren't sick? What if it was just a normal Tuesday at lunchtime and nothing was going on, you felt fine, and the doctor showed up to your house? Well, you would say, hey, doc, it's good to see you, but you're wasting your time. I'm fine. Well, that's the situation that we find Jesus in. Jesus has come into the world to heal uh, a sickness, and yet he doesn't meet anybody that thinks they're sick. There's a TV show on HGTV, and I keep on using HGTV re- references. Um, a few weeks ago, I said I used one from HGTV. It wasn't HGTV. It's from TLC. Either way, it was a show about redoing your house. But there's one on HGTV called Flip or Flop. And the two main characters, they live out in Los Angeles. They buy homes for real cheap. They flip them, and they make a, a large profit on them. And the whole show is just involved with them redoing this house. Uh, the premise of the show doesn't matter. The, the main character, this man, his name is Tarek, and, uh, and a viewer in Mississippi, actually, I'm friends of this girl, or, or uh, two friends removed from this girl, uh, but she was watching this show and she saw the main character have a lump on his throat. And she called the production company that was listed at the end of the credits and she said, Tarek needs to go to a doctor right now. Drop everything. He needs to see a doctor. And the production company got in touch with Tarek, and they went, and he went to the doctor. He had stage 3 cancer, thyroid cancer. It was eating him alive from the inside out. He had no idea. He was living his life as if he wasn't sick. And by God's grace to him, he is a Christian. He, he came to find out he was sick. He got treat, treated, and he's doing much, much better. Here's the reality. Here's what Jesus is saying. Here's how that applies to us You and I are sick. We are sick in our souls. And the problem is, we don't know it. We have the worst sickness that you can imagine because it's a sickness that disguises itself as health. This is the nature of sin. You and I, as sinners, are dying and rotting from the inside out. And yet, we walk around and act like everything's okay. As a matter of fact, we come to church most times just trying to present the best face that we possibly can so that no one thinks that we have a cancerous tumor growing on the inside of us when the reality is that we are dying. 
The good news is Jesus came to save the sick. He came to save sinners. Now that is the good news. The question is, do you know your sickness? Do you know that you are a sinner in need of salvation? And that's what Jesus says. He came to heal the sick. He didn't come for people who think they don't need a healing. Well, the the reality is that all of us need it. Do you recognize that you need it or not? So why he came? He came to heal the sick. Secondly, in verses 15 and 16, we see this, who he heals. And this is the scandal of Christ's ministry. Uh, It's scandalous because Christ is aggressive and it's shocking. He is shocking in this. Uh, Look at verses 15 and 16. As he reclined at the table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. So you know the story. Jesus is there. He's eating at Levi's house. uh, And other tax collectors and sinners are there. Well, Jesus here is showing his aggressiveness. Here's the thing. In most religions, and, and, and let me just say it like this. In every other religion that's out there, You go to the holy man to get healing. You go to the guru and get advice. You go to get help. But Jesus does not wait for people to come to him. He goes to them. And where is Jesus? Scandalously, he is in the home of a sinner, eating among tax collectors. We'll talk about what that means here in a minute. And prostitutes and drunkards and homosexuals, and people who are proud in their looks, people who have been shut out from the polite and good society, the people who are spending all of their money on the drugs that they can get to make themselves feel valuable or worthwhile. He's out there eating with these people, sharing a meal with them, loving them. That is shocking because usually what we're told is In order to be a good religious person, you have to avoid all of those things, and yet Jesus goes to them. Well, uh, so he's aggressive. That's the first thing I want you to see there. But secondly, it's shocking because Jesus goes to the sinners. He goes to those who are not good in and of themselves. Here's what I want you to do for a moment. I want you to get in your head a picture, and this is a real picture of somebody that actually exists, of the most righteous the most religious, the most upright person that you know. I want you to have in your mind the picture of someone who most certainly is going to be at the front of the line when it comes to get into heaven. I want you to have a picture of that person because they're so good that they can't possibly miss out on the glories of eternity because they do so many good things. Do you have that picture in your mind? Here's what's shocking. Jesus says he did not come for that person. He did not come for the person that was doing all of this good stuff to make it to the front of the line. He came for those that are in the back of the line. As a matter of fact, he came for those who don't even know there's a line to begin with. And he came to be with them. That's the amazing thing and the shocking thing about this. You and I are fighting most of the time to get to the front of the line. Because we think that's where Jesus is going to say, good job, you're first. And yet a passage like this reminds us that Jesus shockingly goes to those who have no clue that they need him. 
It's a shocking thing that he does. Jesus goes to the tax collectors and the sinners. Uh, That line is repeated many times in this passage. The tax collectors were considered by the Jewish people the worst of the worst people. Now, we don't like IRS workers. Thankfully, we don't have anybody that works in the IRS here. Um, So we can talk bad about them for a little bit. But we don't like the IRS. Every time April 15th or 16th rolls around and we got to write our checks and do those things, we grumble, we're mad, we complain. But the IRS of the United States has nothing on the tax collectors of the Roman Empire. Nothing on them. Levi, uh, maybe you'll know this, but Levi is a distinctly Jewish name. One of the 12 tribes of Israel is named Levi. Levi was a Jew of Jew. He was one of the, you know, he could have been considered one of the, the most Jewish people that ever lived. And yet he decided to give up his Judaism for wealth. He was one of the chief tax collectors in the city of Capernaum. Capernaum was a wealthy fishing village. Uh, and so the fishermen, as they would sell their fish, uh, You better believe that Matthew was right there, or Levi, I'm sorry, it's Levi, he became Matthew, uh, that he was right there waiting to collect from the money that they made. Not only that, he didn't do that in his own strength, but he had government-sanctioned extortion, uh, the likes of which which we can't even imagine. There was a certain amount that, that Levi had to collect for the Roman government, but everything else, he could demand it with Roman guards at the threat of your life, that you had to give it to him. Anything that he wanted, you had to give to him. Or he would just say, okay, Roman guards, go kill him. Right? Government-sponsored extortion. He had rejected his brothers and sisters who were Jews. He had rejected Judaism. He, could know, he was not a member of the synagogue. He could not even go to the temple to worship God the way that Jews were supposed to. He was shut out from polite society. He was shoved to the outskirts of Jewish society. And he was considered shut out from God, the last person that God would ever invite into heaven. And yet, here he is, dining with Jesus. What an amazing thing for us to see here, that Jesus goes to him. That Jesus doesn't wait for Levi to get a clue. He goes to him. And not only that, Jesus is there eating with all of these tax collectors, all of the people that maybe worked for Levi. Levi invites him to his home and says, come meet Jesus. All of the prostitutes that he would have been visiting, he says, come meet Jesus. And Jesus is there talking to them, eating with them, hanging out with them. It's an amazing thing that we see. And Jesus reminds us here that religious people don't think that they're sick. As we've already seen, religious people are trying to manipulate God by their goodness. Uh, There's a wonderful story that I hope all of you read by Flannery O'Connor, great southern writer. Uh, She is a Christian, uh, and uh, she wrote this, this story called Revelation. And in Revelation, it's this wonderful story of Miss Turpin. Miss Turpin has to go to the doctor's office. She is a middle-class woman with middle-class values, with middle-class uh, thoughts uh, about herself. 
so she goes into, she's sitting in this doctor's office, and there's African Americans there, and there's poor white trash there, and there's one person there who's a little bit more elevated status-wise than she is, and so she strikes up a polite and kind conversation with this nice lady who's a little bit more elevated than she is. And, and the entire story is surrounding Miss Turpin and all the things that she thinks about herself and how good she is, except that she raises pigs. And she likes raising pigs. And everyone else, including this poor white trash woman, looks down on Miss Turpin for raising pigs because white trash doesn't even like pigs and here's Miss Turpin, she likes pigs well the story goes on and there's this very liberal girl that's sitting there in uh, the doctor's office, this is 1950, she goes to uh, Wellesley, very famous liberal arts college up in the northeast and she's an ugly girl, she got she has a pot faced girl and Miss Turpin is describing how ugly her demeanor is Miss Turpin is, who's a little bit chubby but has a, an angelic glow about herself, at least doesn't look like her she's looking down, looking down, looking down and talking bad about everyone there until the, the little liberal girl who isn't nearly as pretty as Miss Turpin has had enough and she throws her book, hits her in the face, Miss Turpin flies out, she starts screaming and hollering and there's this big hullabaloo because the liberal girl is jumping on Miss Turpin and choking her because she can't stand to look at her proud, arrogant face any longer and then Miss Turpin goes home and she's washing the pigs at the end of the day. She cannot believe that she received such an insult. Someone of her class, of her position. And she's given a revelation of people going into heaven. And she looks up and she sees African Americans and people that she disagrees with politically and people that don't look like her, that don't have her values. And all of the people that are lower than her going into heaven before she goes. And she says, how, it, how can it be that this girl that attacked me is even God's grace to remind me that I'm a sinner in need of his grace? You and I are far more like Miss Turpin than we like to imagine and believe. Jesus only heals sinners. He only comes for the unrighteous. He only comes for people who cannot do enough good to go into heaven. And guess what? Those are the only ones that get in. Which one are you? Finally, how does Jesus heal? Look in 13 and 14. How does he heal? I want you to understand something, that Jesus calls Levi. Levi did not go to Jesus. Levi is sitting there. He is extorting money from people at his tax booth. You know, Jesus passes by and Peter and James and John and Andrew, all fishers who would have known Levi very well, who would, have been, uh, who would have been mad and angry at Levi for extorting money from them, they pass by as well. And Jesus says, Levi, leave everything and come with me. I want you to understand something, that Christ and his call is a death. This is not an easy thing that Christ calls, uh, calls uh, Levi to do. It is a death. He says, Levi, leave your job, follow me. He says, Levi, leave your wealth, follow me. Levi, leave your security, follow me. Levi would have been extremely wealthy. He would have had everything that he wanted at his fingertips. And Jesus comes by his booth and says, leave it all, come and follow me. Christ's call is one of death. Secondly, I want you to understand something that Christ gives life. Through death. 
Christ gives life through death. Uh, We're told in other places, in order to save your life, you must lose it. So, uh, Jesus here is saying, I want you to follow me with everything that you have, everything in your being. He doesn't simply say, follow me from 11 to 12 o'clock on Sunday morning, but follow me with everything. Jesus asks for you to die to yourself, to die to the things in this world that give you security. He says, die to your family. Your family is not your security. He says, die to your job. Your job and your vocation is not the thing that gives you meaning or security. Die to your wealth, your bank account, your your IRAs, your, your savings. That isn't your security. Jesus says, die to it. Give it up. Give up the things that you are putting your hope in. Because in fact, anything other than Jesus, if you're hoping in that, is death. Jesus says, give up death in order to have life. And here's the great thing about what Jesus is doing. Jesus took the death that we deserve on the cross in order to give us his life. Christ's call requires his death. When he passes by Levi, he says, Levi, follow me. Give up death in order to have life. And by following me, I'm going to give up my life for you. What an amazing thing that he does. And so that call to us to follow Jesus, the same call that he gave to Levi and to Andrew and to Peter and James and John, the one that's all of us says, follow me. I give up my life so that you don't have to taste death. What an amazing thing that he says. I want to remind you once again in conclusion, Levi is Matthew. Levi is Matthew, the first book of the New Testament that actually goes through and explains the glory of the Old Testament. That is the Levi that Jesus calls. The one that believes wholly and fully in Jesus Christ. He wrote an entire book of the Bible. He was not beyond the reach of God. He visited prostitutes, or actually he had them visit him. He had all of the best drugs and alcohol at his parties. He did all of the things that you and I tend to look down on and say they are outside of the reach of God, and yet he was not outside of the reach of God. Well, if he's not beyond the reach of God, well, neither are you. Your sin is heinous and offensive to God, and that's why he came to give his life, so that your sin could be forgiven. You are not beyond God's forgiveness. Secondly, I want you to see that Levi followed, and because Levi followed, what did he do? Look at what it says at the very end of verse 15. He says, as he re- or I'll read all of 15. As he reclined in the table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. Levi's following Jesus actually led to other sinners and tax collectors and prostitutes and homosexuals and drug addicts coming to Jesus. All because he opened his home and he said, let me share Jesus Christ with you. Have you opened your home to sinners and tax collectors? Have you shared Jesus Christ with others? Look, friends, it's the only way that Clinton, Louisiana is going to hear about Jesus Christ. 
we have to get out of our nice little neat bubbles. We have to start inviting sinners into our homes. And let me just say this. How about we start, let's not start with sinners. That might be hard. How about just invite a Baptist into your home? Huh? How about that? Let's start there. Invite a Baptist or a Methodist into your home. Work your way up to the Episcopalians. And then, uh, you know, go to the sinner. I mean, look, this is the way that we spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have some work to do here, but the good news is we don't do it in ourselves. We don't do it in our strength. We do it because Jesus Christ loved us, gave himself for us, and invited us into his home. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for giving us this time. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the reminder that we are sinners who have been invited to the banquet of Jesus Christ, to feast on his goodness. Pray, Father, that you would help us to believe it, to also then be transformed by that good news, to open our homes to others so that we can share the good news with others. We pray this in Christ's name.